Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and Bullseye Remote Gaming Server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba, and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties. Um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. Rebel Status are an award-winning boutique headhunting firm within the iGaming space. They have been delivering recruitment and senior search assignments for more than 20 years with industry-leading guarantees and assessments. They are more than just headhunters, with an emphasis on long-term relationships and a foundation that has been built on quality, transparency, and relentless obsession with providing excellence. We, as IGM Next, have been using Rebel Status for our own recruitment, and they have always been great to us, so make sure to check them out. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders, this is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lint. All right. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Daniel, how's it going? Hey there. Awesome. Really good to be here. Love the intro. I'm pumped. Really happy to be talking <laughs> with you today. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. It gives me energy as well. Uh, uh, Daniel, we've been speaking a lot lately, which is something uh, that has been uh, uh, awesome, actually. It's been really nice to get to know you over the, the last... Uh, couple of weeks here another connection made through the wonders of clubhouse yeah we have breakfast together every thursday morning yeah 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 isn't that fantastic that's the way you that's the way you turn uh, um, you know become from professionals into friendships these days i think it's definitely the the, the future thing. of uh of the the getting together i suppose aspect of our business right you don't need to go necessarily to a conference just to talk and get on a panel and discuss topics you can you can just set it up in five minutes. Clubhouse is, it's got, I'm still getting my head around it, um, yeah. but it's really cool. It's great to meet people. Yeah, 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 it is. It, it is for sure. And, and um, you know, the, the last couple of weeks here on the Thursdays, uh, it's really been great to just kind of gather the industry, uh, some of the top minds, you know, like like yourself and Tim and Robin and, and, and all the others used to kind of discuss these like big topics and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's through these sessions, obviously, that, 
you know, I just realized like yeah, Daniel, you're you're obviously a super interesting person, and 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 I was really happy that you came on to the podcast today. So we we have a lot of stuff to uh, to discuss actually. But um, to give a little bit context to start off with, I mean, uh, Daniel, you're the CEO and founder of Carousel Group, um, up and coming uh, operator. Uh, talk a little bit of of this product and and um, where the company is heading. Okay, so. Carousel Group was, I suppose, a baby that, of mine that, that was born late 2017. Uh, and maybe it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, I, I first entered the industry unknowingly, really, almost 20 years ago. I'm not going to count days, but it feels like a long time <laughs> ago, where I, I ended up in, a, in an affiliate business. I was just uh, learning to write software and ended up actually helping an affiliate company. I wish I knew now what I was... I wish I knew then what I know now I would... I've been retired five times over as an affiliate, uh, <laughs> but I ended up also working with a, an incredible uh, young company back in the day called Sportsbet in Australia, um, pre Paddy Power days. And that was really exciting. And I ended up moving out of the industry. I was, I was uh, director at a, uh, at a media company and technology and you know, a lot of time in and out of the startup world. And I ended up uh, working in Spain, I think I want to say about seven or eight years ago now. Uh, and I was working with, a, with an incredible woman called Jessica who had founded this business called MediaTek Solutions and really innovative, launched the very first regulated casino in Spain, built the very first regulated platform, really exciting, intense environment, you know, trying to take on the world. And, uh, you know, we were running operators across Spain. We were trying to do deals around the world. We set joint ventures in America. We were doing, uh, you know, did a couple of licenses in Malta, stuff in South America, trying to work with the Chinese welfare department, building emerging technology back at the time, omni-channel, really exciting. And um, and that business, we, we sold that business, uh, I want to say again, three or four years ago, just before starting uh, Carousel Group. And I, I figured I spent many years on the other side of B2B business, building platform, building technology, helping other operators grow their business. And uh, as a tech and product guy myself, um, I saw so many opportunities in the industry. You know, a lot of the operators, they're, they're potentially, they come from archaic institutions, they're family-run businesses, they're slow-moving, they don't know how to adopt emerging technology. Um, and I saw, there's so much opportunity here in this industry to, to be smart, product-oriented, customer-oriented. And I thought, I, I'm going to have a go at this. Uh, so Carousel Group was founded. Originally, it was I was intending to get into the, the, the global market, really look at the markets that were still yet to be regulated and try and capitalize on on, on that that space. Unfortunately, it was, or fortunately, it was a perfect storm. And, you know, we, we were growing just as country after country started regulating. I thought, you know what, I don't want to get into the dark side of the show. I want to focus on regulated space. I want to focus on long-term sustainable growth, organic growth. I want to be here in 10 years. I'm looking to do a quick exit. And, um, and yeah, we went, we started a process in Malta, which fortunately we, we finished uh, last year. We got our MGA license. But, but during that process, uh, the U.S. had evolved dramatically. Uh, PASPA had been repealed and the U.S. just started booming. And I made the decision to pivot the company over to the U.S. space. I'm sure we can talk about this for hours today. Uh, and as of really early last year, we, we did a complete pivot to focus on the U.S., almost entirely on the U.S. And, uh, and that's where most of our business is today. We're licensed up and running with sportsbetting.com in Colorado, we just closed a really incredible deal with Caesars Entertainment for, for Indiana, New Jersey, Iowa. 
we've got so much more exciting stuff happening. Maybe we can get into it. Um, have to make yeah. all of you listeners sign an NDA and I can tell them all the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> but we've got some really, really cool things happening this year. Really pumped. Our team is growing. Um, but yeah, we're a, we're a B2C operator uh, with currently focused on the US, but with massive global ambitions. Very cool, uh, uh, Daniel. And, and uh, let's go into uh, into US as a, as a market specifically. You know, I had um, Manu Stan, who is the head of US uh, in uh, in Kindred, uh, on the podcast a, a couple of months ago, and I we spoke as well about Kindred's path into the US and and uh, their ambitions there. And he spoke about you know selecting the states very carefully, and and he recognized that he don't have the same firepower as uh, the DraftKings and the um, uh, and the found the worlds of this world. Um, what's uh, what's your thoughts on on the US in general and your strategy there? Will you try to go in in every state that you possibly can, or do you take a more cautious approach? Well, I think most operators want to be in every state they possibly can, with the exception of a few that have decided to to strictly deal with you know single state operations. Um, it is a question of capital. It's an incredibly expensive market to work in uh, and to try and grow in. You know, it's it's cash hungry. It's also challenging because because of the domination by the you know the top three or top four in the space that are public listed. They have huge access to capital. Um, they're buying up market access, seemingly with little uh, care for profitability at the moment, um, <laughs> because it's all about setting themselves up for for the for the long term play. And I completely respect their strategy. I think that some of their their ability to raise capital, their ability to deploy capital, their ability to the amount of deals that get done by some of these these bigger competitors of ours are just incredible. Like the amount the amount they're doing. Um, look for us, it's every state is interesting to a certain degree. Which state at the right time is obviously a really important part of our strategy. Um, instantly, for for instance, just looking at the three we've just closed: Iowa, Indiana, and and New Jersey. They're very different. You know, Iowa is quite a small state. Um, just just. Uh, opened up remote registration at the start of this year. You know, New Jersey's is one of the more mature states. It's the gold standard of, of US states. But they all have their, their different, uh, you know, pros and cons. And for us, for instance, choosing those two states or, or you know, all the states we choose, they, they all have their own strategy. And it's not a one size fits all by any means. You know, for instance, you can go into a market like New Jersey where operators have been there and everyone knows the operators and there's, there's brand fatigue. Um, you know, there's unhappy customers. There's bad PR. There's all the things you'd expect in a market that's been around for a while. Whereas you go into Iowa, um, you know, a lot of the other new states that, and soon to be launching states. And it's different. Everyone's got, you know, Michigan, first chance to impress everyone. Uh, Michigan was incredible for the guys that were in there. So congratulations to some of those operators. And you look at like Barstool's revenue out of the, out of the gates. It's just incredible stuff. Um, <laughs> but it, every state is like its own, its own country really at the moment, which is a whole nother, opens up a whole nother set of, of questions and concerns why they're regulating differently is there ever going to be standardization uh, what happens in the future if the wire act drops and you can operate every state from one state and all kinds of stuff it's a yeah it's a very do you think there will be a federal legislation eventually uh, no it would be okay. it would be interesting to see what happens mm. um but no being able to operate in all states from one state i i don't see that there's, there's too much there's too much money now for the states, the state tax, and for the casinos for them to ever allow that to happen. There's too much, just too much taxation available, and there's too much lobbying power for it ever for them to really, you know, release their stranglehold on on the state-based approach. 
Yeah, fair enough. So, so you know, we spoke about the uh, the DraftKings and the uh, and the FanDuel's uh, the the major key, key players in in the states at the moment. Uh, obviously, investing massive amount of money um, have been building brand equity for a long time through the fantasy sports brands that, uh, that where they started out have massive databases and so on and so forth. How, how do you how do you come in to compete with these massive brands in in a in a in a market that is so cash hungry where you probably have to invest the years before you see profitability. Uh, there's a there's many ways to to be competitive. Just like in any market, you know, you could probably look at most markets around the world and say they're saturated. There's no room for competition, but there is. You know, there's still new entrants into the UK market. There's still new entrants into the Australian market. There's still new entrants into the Spanish market. You know, and people might consider them to be saturated. Fortunately, in a lot of the US states, there's a very limited supply of of licenses. So while they're saturated because they've got lots of cash, actually in terms of numbers of operators, there's not that many. And that, that is an opportunity in itself because at the end of the day, they're just companies with people and a product. They usually, have, you know, they have one technology stack or, or the, you know, maybe they have many, but it, you know, one set of products um, and one brand and that brand might work, it might not work. Their marketing strategy might work, it might not work. They might have a big PR issue and they might fall out. They might have regulatory issues and they disappear overnight. You know, and then you only let, let's say, 17 skin market, then you're left with 16 or 15. And once the consolidation phase comes, and it will come, you know, then there'll be even less competition in the future and more opportunity for people to, to really differentiate themselves. There's so much, there's so many ways to differentiate yourself in a market like that. You know, one of the, one of the brand archetypes or the brand archetype that we were, we were implementing with, with sportsbetting.com is, is the everyman brand. You know, we want to be there as a reliable operator, a reliable brand that you can trust, that takes care of its players, that takes care of responsible gaming. Um, that is, it does what it says it's going to do, great customer support. Um, and I think there's a place for brands like that in the market that are, we might not be at the top of the tier one, but we can very easily get to the top of the tier stack, two stack. Um, and we will be there, you know, as we go on and on and on. And I think it's a really comfortable place for us to be in. That, you know, the MGMs and DraftKings and Fangio, that, you know, they're going to take up the, the top 80% in most states, they're in 70%, but there's still a very healthy amount of revenue in that bottom 20%, you know, and that's, and that's a really exciting place to be in. Yeah, can, can they, so I, I think so as well, right? They, they will take the 80% market share, but will they be able to hold on to that 80% market share long term, or is this a short term uh, well, they're, already, they're already struggling with it, right? You look at, there's a lot of interesting data coming out analysis on, you know, on the early mover advantage and how that's being chipped away. You know, you look at the, the market share between DraftKings and FanDuel and, our, and our, you know, PointsBet and MGM and Barstool. And they're all starting to chip away that, you know, they're, they're really starting to even out a little bit more. It's very hard to compete with companies like DraftKings because they're so well capitalized, right? They just, you know, even just their ability, they raised a billion dollars last week, I think. I think it's zero interest. I mean, it's just in incredible ability to raise capital. It's very hard <laughs> to fight with that, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, but there will be consolidation. Um, you know, it's not sustainable. At some point, the valuation models will change. Um, capital might be a lot harder to come by. People are going to need to be start being held responsible for their, for their spending <laughs> responsible for the, for the capital they've been raising. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting next couple of years. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it really feels, I mean, not just in the agaming industry, but it really feels globally like we are going through, it's a gold rush at the moment. I mean, there is so much money in the system, not only in the gaming industry, but uh, just looking at tech in general, uh, you know, Tesla up, what is it, like 500% the last year or something like that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and again uh, last night. Yeah, up again last night, and um, uh, and obviously in the agaming industry, look at the DraftKings um, valued at like twenty five billion dollars, and uh, you know they are still spending more in marketing that they than they have an entire revenue, right? They are not even close to profitability. Do, do, do you think is it is it realistic what's happening now? Can this go on? Will will there be a correction in the market? You'd think so. This it seems like investment recently has become more speculative than ever before. You know, I mean, Tesla is the perfect case. They must, I don't know what percentage of cars they sell in comparison to Volkswagen, but yeah. you know, or Ford or whatever, but their share price sure as hell doesn't, doesn't care about, about their production capacity. Uh, but it's speculative, right? It's, it's what, will, what will they do in 20 years' time? What will they do in 50 years' time? You know, if you buy a dollar of Tesla stock now, if they're on Mars, if they're, if they're you know, sending people to Mars at 20, in 2050, I'm sure their stock could be worth a billion dollars. You know, uh, Warren Buffett must be getting scared of some of these small tech stocks <laughs> or, or buying into them. Um, in the gaming industry is no different. It's so speculative. Um, and that's, again, a really exciting space to be in for us included, you know, yeah. because it's all about potential. It's about us. It's about being able to build a great strategy, market a great strategy. Um, you know, people believing in, in, in the business. It's a lot less about fundamentals, you know, at the moment anyway, at least in our space. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you know, look at some of our European counterparts, don't get to benefit from the same kind of valuation models or the same kind of, um, you know, future outlook, which is why so many of them are so keen to get to the US and they are, everyone's trying to get to the US, especially all the big guys, right? They're all either doing JVs or partnerships or they're trying to get into a SPAC or something or other, but it's tough. I mean, I, we, we went into the US as I said last year, we signed our first market access agreement last April, I think it was for Colorado. And I felt very late to the party, you know, like the guy that turns <laughs> up at 1am and, and everyone's already disappeared. Um, but, you know, now a year on and we're kind of still early doors. You know, it's like people who got into Bitcoin in 2018. They were very, very late to the party, but they still had a lot of upside ahead of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's been there's been a lot of ups and downs in the crypto space as well with, with Bitcoin. You know, I, I remember when it shot up to 800 uh, dollar uh, it's like 2014 or whatever and, and everyone was like oh my god this is the biggest thing ever then it went down to like 200 and you know that's when you hear the first time that okay the bitcoin is uh, dead and whatever and then you, you see these corrections uh happening all the time uh, which is interesting um but uh you know going into further into uh, on the u.s market um also, if, if I understand things correctly now, there, there are obviously um, uh, certain states that are opening up and all of them that, that do offer some form of online uh, gambling offer sports betting and some of the states offer uh, casino as well. Do you think that um, as, we, as we go forward, will more and more states also allow casino or will there be a discrepancy between the states who are offering casino and, and uh, sportsbook or only casino? So to, oh, sorry, or only sportsbook. Yeah, it's interesting to see how it's unfolded because it's not really a problem that the rest of the world understands so much. And while while there are you know casino or iGaming as we now tend to call it in the US, yeah. uh, and sports betting separation in licenses, um, it's you know this it's not really a thing to divide the two. They try to kind of treat it as the same thing, right? The players typically the same at the end of the day. While you know there's different 
aspects and minutiae to, to sports betting customer over a poker customer over a casino customer. They're still, they're still treated as gambling and there's still the same level of, you know, KYC and affordability checks and responsible gaming, et cetera. Yeah. But it's interesting in the US. I think a lot of it's driven because, I mean, you know, PASPA was about professional sports. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the problems with this industry in the US is was about the how 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 sports are handled and how gambling is handled with sports. Um, I I think in a lot of states there's also a lot of politics and potentially religion that gets thrown into it as well, and people's mm-hmm. understanding of or, or I suppose cultural acceptance of sports versus casino and sports being okay because everyone loves sports. I mean, America's just sports mad, which is one of the reasons yeah. why I I, I love being able to have a business there because I'm also sports mad and I need a lot of our team <laughs> where we can't shut up about it. Um, <laughs> Which sport are you into? That is? Well, I, I'm a, I've got to call it soccer now. Uh, soccer? Oh, <laughs> soccer oh no, it's, you've gone that far into your American journey. I am. I even spell words, words, words with Z's in them. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm a convert. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I'm really getting into American football, uh, particularly like, like I love the 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 broadcast shows the way like Red Zone that the way it just gets shown it's just some of the most exciting sporting action in the world. I mean, we're in the middle of March Madness at the moment, which is just crazy, right? <laughs> it's like all the most incredible athletes, but they're all college students. Sixty-eight teams in a in a brackets playoff. It's just like so amazing to watch. It's so mm-hmm. exciting. Um, <laughs> but to come back to the the point, I yeah. I think. Um, I think they will all come around to it. Maybe there'll be a couple of exceptions due to maybe exceptional circumstances like like religion or politics or something that will prevent casino from really uh, coming to light. But particularly last year, uh, well, and this year ongoing, you know, the pandemic really, really made state regulators um, and budget departments think about where they can get revenues from. You know, it really drove the industry and it drove regulation. It drove the push. Uh in particular, I think casino is is such a great opportunity for the states to really get tax revenues into their into their coffers. Um, sports is fantastic, but casino is really, really where the opportunity is uh, when it comes to revenues. It's it's exciting, and and we're seeing it slowly. Unfortunately, so far behind the sports angle. You know, most of the state, you know, Colorado, for instance, is only sports at the moment. But I'm really confident that. That it will be an iGaming state uh, in the future. We've, we've actually already pre-secured our iGaming agreement in Colorado because we know it's going to happen, and we're currently in the process of closing a number of iGaming agreements as well in other states because for us it's such a big part of our business for the future. Um, especially when you, when you look at player values, particularly when it comes to iGaming, I mean they're just immense. And maybe I'm jumping around from topic to topic, but you look at like the the lifetime values that some of these some of the operators are putting on players and like Gold Nugget, seven thousand dollars I think it was and Rush tree, like five thousand dollar lifetime value, you know, because the most <laughs> casino customers. That's insane, right? That's crazy. Yeah. And how, how does that compare to a European player? You know, obviously, different countries in Europe are different. But let's say a Swedish player, a lifetime value, was like a thousand. Yeah, maybe for sports, even lower. I think if you get them into if you get them into multiple products, yeah, you can, it all comes down to the operator themselves, though, and their retention model yeah. and and their profit. But yeah. how much they're spending to acquire the customers. But if you're looking at a customer that costs five thousand. You know, that gets you five thousand in, in lifetime value, which I, I, I mean, I struggle to believe, but I the numbers are the numbers. <laughs> Imagine how much you would spend on getting that player, right? 
And then, exactly. then it makes you realize why these companies are raising so much cash to go and acquire customers. Yeah. Like the, the lifetime value opportunity in the US is like no other market. Yeah. Just because the, the the stickiness of the players, their love for, for gaming is crazy. And like it makes sense. Like why wouldn't you go and sponsor the sports league or go sponsor, the, go put the naming rights on the stadium or go to a big media deal? Because you get those players in, I mean, you, you'll make your money back long term. So, mm-hmm. you know, talking about whether we're in a bubble or not, who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's actually all going to pay off. And really, like these guys are the smartest guys in the world for raising, you know, loading up their debt and, and it will pay off in five, 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And um, you would think that, that there's some advanced calculations happening uh, behind closed doors, obviously. Uh, but, you yeah, know, I think so. <laughs> you would hope so. Um, <laughs> But you know, staying on that uh, on that topic, I, I asked you the question on on like the discrepancy in the states between uh, online casino and, and the sports betting because um, take a take an organization like Evolution, and I want to tie this in a little bit with the speculation that is happening in in the market that is pushing up share prices, right? So, Evolution Evolution share price have also six x or something like that in a in a year, uh, and much of that is because of the um, expectations on the u.s market now evolution obviously only uh, offers casino product uh, so the question is you know is there a risk that that for, for for an organization evolution that they won't be able to actually offer their products to that many states in the end of the day uh, mm-hmm. if uh, if uh, the states uh, only allow sports betting i if i was evolution I'd, I'd be pretty comfortable right now and if i was going to invest in them i'd be pretty comfortable right now It'll come around, and live casino is such a huge part of the market right now. That I mean, you think about the the casino, you know, the, the brick and mortar casino um, history in the US. You know, it's a it's a country where people love going to casinos. Like spring break is about going to Vegas and going <laughs> sitting at a table and gambling. I mean, they, it's part yeah. of their culture. The amount of like casinos everywhere from New York, New Jersey, all across you know Pennsylvania. Like the the amount of movement of people going on holiday and crossing state lines and going into casinos, and you you project that online, people are going to want to play live casino. It's a great business model. I think it's a great business to be in right now. And I think you know we're talking to Carolina this morning and in, in Clubhouse about you know some products that are going to keep enhancing the, the the live casino experience, and it is a really really exciting space. And I think it's where we'll see a lot of innovation, a lot of interest. As the states start to open up, I think anyone who's in there now and can afford to stick around is going to benefit from it long term. But yeah, there's also there's always the question of how long can you wait? How long can, you know? How long can you afford to wait until there's enough critical mass that it becomes a profitable business? Uh, it is a couple yeah, of exactly. steps behind, as we know, but but I'm confident that it will come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, because uh, Evolution is one of the companies that where you know their PE number, the the profit to earnings ratio is basically 80 times the share price right now which means that if you if you would if you would buy uh, a share in evolution gaming it takes 80 years uh, for 80 years for them to earn that um, for them to give earnings uh, return on the on the price that you uh, that you buy basically so that just tells again the story that either there is just an insane amount of money that is flowing into the stock market right now that is losing grip of reality uh, or that uh, that uh, the market is correct in, in this estimation that the US will uh, will explode the way it uh, the way it uh, will um, 
so just to give some context to that, like the, the average PE ratio for a, a, a major listed company in the US at the moment is uh, something like 22, I think, which is also the highest it's, ev it's, it's ever been, yeah. except yeah. for uh, the dot-com crisis and the financial crisis uh, in history. It's the highest ever. So 22 and evolution is at 80. Yeah. You know? well, um, you, could, you, you, could, you add on the, the speculation and the hope of post-COVID recovery on top of yeah. an industry that's just starting out and it's like a multiplier on top of a multiplier of, wow, how big yeah. is the future going to be? And the, yeah. the valuation model of, of the operators, our competitors in the space, it's just crazy. They're all they're multiples of future earning, earnings. The lowest one I've seen in a in a investor presentation is about seven times future earnings, so future future <laughs> revenue, future GGR. <laughs> yeah. Um, DraftKings, I want to say it'd be, it'd be 20, 25 times or something <laughs> even crazier. I mean, that's mad. Yeah. You know, I, again, going back to like our poor European counterparts, they're if they want to sell their business, they're you know, maybe 15 times EBIT, you know, on the high end. You know, I think maybe NetEnt was a, was a good example of a company that got a really good um, EBIT multiple. But over in the yeah. US, it's just, it's a whole nother stratosphere. It's like those calculations don't even matter. It's not, uh, this is part of the consolidation in the future. And the, maybe the end of the bubble isn't so much about the bubble bursting. It's the, it's the changing uh, mindset of how we value businesses. It's going from this future outlook to a present outlook of actually, okay, cool. All right, the party's over. Who's actually, <laughs> who's retaining players? Who's yeah. getting good lifetime value? Um, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to that moment, but also I don't want it to come too soon. You know, <laughs> exactly. I want to get my, uh, my foot in the door properly first. I want to have a good mar mar market access um, across, the, across the country. And then, and then we'll prove how, how great an operator we are. But at the same time right now, we're really interested in just um, being part of this incredible growth story. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the party needs to continue a while longer. Um, but, uh, you know, it's so interesting how much have changed uh, in, in, the, in the multiples in such a short space of time. I mean, go back to a couple of years ago when, uh, when GIG offloaded their B2C uh, risk. They sold the B2C part to, to Betson for a multiple of four, I think. And it was EBITDA X4. Right, and that was in the midst of the Swedish regulation, really like weighing the um, the operators down, especially the Scandinavian focused ones. Uh, and, uh, and and now put that in contrast, and like you're saying, uh, netant, uh, I think uh, even upwards of twenty uh, times EBITDA, I think even. Um, and, um, and and now you see the the multipliers uh, definitely uh, above ten um, every time there is an acquisition. Uh, now, now again, um, just again, but the, goes to show the market numbers back it up, though, right? In the US, um, iGaming's projected at forty billion dollars at maturity right now, and sports betting's like twenty-two billion dollars. That's a mm. huge market, and the, and the states are proving that. And they, they, all the analysts, every time they're readjusting, readjusting their estimates, and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But they're not getting mm. bigger, bigger based on speculation. They're getting bigger based on the actual the actuals of states as they open up. You know, yeah. Colorado is exceeding expectations. Um, New Jersey is continuing to to surprise everyone. Like Michigan, Pennsylvania, like they're all just incredible growth stories. Mm -hmm. So the analysts have got so much data, real data, and it's showing that that this is an incredible market, and maybe these valuations are justified. 
Yeah. So what about, you know, you, you mentioned consolidation of the industry. Do, do you think that in, I mean, and we've seen a lot of consolidation now the last couple of years. I mean, the, the flutters and the antennas uh, and so forth. Um, do, do you think that the industry will uh, consolidate to only a few giants? And will Carousel Group, which side of the aisle will you be on? Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's a good question. Let's, let's start with the consolidation and I'll think about <laughs> think about yeah. our strategy in, in two minutes. Okay. Um, absolutely, there'll be consolidation. There has to be consolidation because some of these guys, are, again, they, they, they're too leveraged to, for them all to be successful. It's just it's probably just impossible at some point, especially when you look at the cost of market access in some of the big states. And the big states are still yet to come. New York, California, Florida, Texas, they're still yet to regulate. Imagine how much money is going to be thrown behind those states and how much capital operators are going to have to raise to get into those states and be competitive in those states. You know, and then you keep going, at least in this, Ohio's coming soon. It's a huge state as well. There's, there's, there's lots of big events coming and um, people are going to be raising more and more capital. And at some point, something's got to give. It's also not necessarily a bad thing that the market consolidates. It'll be a great exit story for a lot of companies. You know, um, companies that may be smaller companies that have been focused on a single state that realize actually, you know what, I've built up enough enterprise value here. I'm going to sell my one state with my database of customers and my platform and my and my license to, you know, the FanJules, DraftKings, whatever of the world that just want to now get one more license, one more skin. Maybe, um, you know, they want to have two skins in the state, two brands, just because they don't have two already. I mean, you look at other markets, it's the white label concepts prevalent, right? Not in the US, though. Um, you know, you don't have typically don't have two brands with slightly different demographics competing with each other, but you do in other markets. So that's that still has to come as well. You know, maybe you have a VIP brand in the same state that you have a recreational, you know, square brand, um, or maybe you have different casino brands. Uh, maybe you have one that's just focused on gamification. You know, again, these are things that were typ typically in international markets, but the US hasn't seen them because of the cost of market entry and the fact that you can you have to buy one skin. There's no concept of of, uh, of white labeling, so it's it's going to come for for a number of reasons. Whether it's people, you know, you can imagine companies that have a big enough market cap, they're just going to start buying databases, and eventually they're going to run out of media companies to get databases from. They're going to start buying up competitors, and they're going to overvalue those companies, and they're going to give them great offers, and the shareholders are going to want to take the money and go invest in in the next big wave. So absolutely, it's, it's definitely coming. Um, and it could be a great thing for all the business out there. I think it's really incentivizing for the startups and the, the smaller companies wanting to get into the market because maybe there is a there is a short-term exit there or a mid-term exit because uh, the big guys just have to keep growing. They have to keep sustaining their growth by acquiring, raising capital. Uh, it's just, you know, they've got to keep going. Yeah. You know, in terms yeah. of which yeah. side of the fence I see myself on. <laughs> Choose your work I, carefully. I do want to be here long term. I really like this industry. I want to. I want to grow a sustainable business. Uh, I really like organic growth. Um, I, I we've got an incredible team of people who really deeply understand the industry. Uh, we've got a great uh, business. We're fully vertically integrated. We own our own technology, which is a, not an easy feat. But that just shows that we're not looking to go and leverage another platform, grow quickly, and, and exit. Um, you know, we're building and building and innovating. And we've got our own products. We've got got native apps out already we're building new apps we're building new products um, for, and that just clearly shows that we want to be in this long term um, at the same time you know we're we're currently in the middle of capital raising um, 
you know, I'm opening up the door for, for investors. Sometimes, you know, I will listen to my board. I'll listen to my investors and, and see what the best op- best thing to do is for our business. Uh, yeah. But at the moment, I'm really interested in, in being here long term. I think we can do really, I'm confident we can do really well in this in this business because we're, we're, we're one of the few companies that's really focused on just being a good sports betting operator right now and being a good casino operator. You know, we don't do fantasy. Um, you know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to run omni-channel through retail. We're just trying to build the best experience possible for customers. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, that 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 brings a lot of weight. That's a, there's a lot of value in that, in our focus and our dedication to just being a great sports betting casino operator. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. I think it's a nice space to be in. And and you know you have gone to market in in a couple of states so far, right? And, uh, like, what's your what's the indication so far? Are you happy with the numbers that you guys have produced? Is, are they in line with your expectations? The the growth was really exciting at the start. At the moment, I'm more focused in preparing for our future growth. You know, we're launching three more states this year. Next year, I could easily see us launching another four or five. Uh, as I said at the start, I'm a product and tech guy, and right now, I'm really focused more so on on building out scalable technology uh, we're doing really cool things when it comes to really pushing the use of cloud um in in our in our infrastructure in the us um in particular you know we all our technology is built on this concept of microservice oriented architecture which basically means we have a ton of little applications that form a bigger application and each one of them can scale up and down vertically horizontally uh, and it's a cool technology business that we're in um, and for me, that's the fundamental part of being successful in this market is getting the product right, getting the product and the technology right, and everything else will come. Hmm. You know, a lot of people are buying handle or turnover. You know, they're buying market access, which obviously we're doing. But I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you build it, they will come. And I want to focus more on creating a great experience for our customers. You know, focus on creating great customer support rather than just buying customers. So I'm I'm taking a bit more of a longer term view on it. We're investing heavily in SEO at the moment as well. Uh, and you know, as we as we go and do more capital raises, uh, and as we are right now, we will we'll start looking at some of the bigger deals. We're in contact in, in discussions right now with some big media um, brands, um, market access deals that come with database, et cetera. And you know, we'll probably start to buy a lot of handle as well in the future. But but I I want to I want to focus on product for now. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And you know, moving over to um, to player safety, also a discussion that uh, is relevant for different reasons. But one of them, perhaps, is um, you know looking into the future and and the potential of other states opening. You, you, you know, you mentioned California, Florida, for example. Um, how important is it uh, to stay ahead of regulation right now to really give focus to player protection uh, as a way to uh, as a way to make it easier for other states to uh, to to open up uh, for gambling itself, is that relevant? Is that how you see things, or how do you view player protection in general? It's an interesting topic, uh, you know, deep topic as well. Talk about everything from you know from sustainability through to player care, and and also leaving a good impression on the market, which is really important because if you think about it, it's actually quite it's it's politics really. End of the day, is every state's looking at this and deciding what to do. You know, today or last night was budget day in New York, um, and there's it's a huge topic there. You know, trying to decide between going with with Cuomo's plan of being a state-run operation, or or Senator Davo's plan of of you know giving skins to all the casinos, and re- responsible gaming is a huge factor in that, uh, along with tax. 
you know, it's, it's a big part of their conversations. And we had the benefit of speaking to, to a lot of the, the members of, of government there. We've, we've been in deep conversation with them over the last few months. Um, and it's something that they've, they're really interested in getting right, which I, which I really appreciate. I think that they're doing the right moves. But it's also, you've got to understand, it's quite hard from, from the perspective of a, of a regulator trying to work out what is the best framework. And they haven't, haven't had responsible gaming as, a, as an issue for very long, apart from the land-based casinos. It's a whole different concept. So they look around the world and they see, okay, well, UK is going through a crisis right now, credit cards and advertising issues. Spain went through a big crisis over the last year as well with advertising. Um, you know, Sweden's going through similar issues with, you know, trying to find the right balance between bonusing and responsible gaming. And Australia's the same. Australia still hasn't managed to regulate a lot of things the rest of the world has when it comes to, like, online casino, in-play sports and poker. So who should they look to as being a, a, a good example of, of who's done it right? I don't know. I don't, I don't think really there's any particular standout regu regulatory regime around the world that you say that is the perfect example of how to implement. So they're... So it's, it's an ongoing concern for the regulators now in the US to try and find the right model. Uh, fortunately, we, we went into Colorado as our first state. They're really, like a really dynamic regulator, really open to, to hearing and listening to the operators. It's been a, a very refreshing change, I have to say. A lot of direct contact with the, well, digital contact, you know, through Zoom calls, but direct, directly with key people within the Department of Revenue in Colorado and great discussions. And I, I think they they're adopting the right approach, which is put in enough protection so that the players have a basic level of, of protection, put in enough oversight and visibility so that the operators can't, can't do anything without the operator knowing. And then they iteratively start introducing um, rules and restrictions as they see fit based on the culture there. Um, but it's a, it's a tough topic um, and it's very hard to stay ahead of. Fortunately, you know, from our perspective, a lot of, a lot of the, that's what you call them, the European operators that have come over, you know, we, we come from a background of, of strict responsible gaming. So when we introduced that technology, we already had, uh, you know, uh, opt-outs. We already had daily, weekly, monthly limits. We already had um, affordability processes. You know, we had uh, limits on particular payment methods. You know, we know how to identify someone potentially with that's at high risk. You know, there's a lot of great AI tools as well available to, to predict if someone is falling outside of the typical betting behavior and you can identify them. You know, the same... The same tools that can identify a VIP player can identify problem gaming, uh, and I think under in, you know in the right hands and the right operator, they, they can be really powerful tools. Uh, and I definitely see us as being one of those operators that that does try and do the right thing. You know, we we want to both harness the the marketing potential of some of our tools and abilities, and and use that to to also make sure that that we're providing a sustainable uh, platform. Yeah, uh, and um, it is an interesting topic indeed, and uh, especially uh, when we. Uh when we introduce AI to the conversation as well, right? So uh, we've seen Entain launching their machine learning uh, powered uh, uh, proprietary software called uh, Arc to basically detect uh, harm from gambling before it happens. Uh, and uh, similarly, Kindred uh, have done the same thing. Um, they have taken it a step further with saying that they are committed that they are going to eliminate harmful gambling by 2023. Uh, and uh, they will disclose basically in each quarterly report uh, where the trend uh, is uh, heading. They will they will disclose uh, how much of their revenue is coming from harmful uh, gambling. Big targets, very cocky um, and uh, forward-thinking uh, move by Kindred. And you know you can you can argue is this going to be possible and what will it mean? Um, but uh, the question to you, Daniel, is uh, is you know 
is there a business case to be made out of um, out of solving player protection, uh, or is it purely uh, a decision for ethical uh, reasons? Yeah, interesting topic. Uh, I I think we've we've spoken about this before in in our clubhouse chat. So I think it's I don't know whether you want to call it naive to think you can eliminate uh, you know problem gaming from an operator. But if you think about it, they're going to go somewhere. So if you push them away and you say, we don't want them or, you know, we're just going to block you without actually trying to deal with the topic, you're just pushing them into the black market, right? You're just pushing the players into a place where they probably shouldn't even be. So I, I understand why one operator wants to wants to take care of that, and particularly when you, when you look at the investment going into the, the sustainable sector of, of the market, especially in, in Europe at the moment. Uh, it's an incredible sector and place for investment right now um i there's there's movements happening right now i believe where where funds there's there's big funds being set up that will only now invest in sustainability um there's there's sustainability index funds i if i can remember correctly i think the the sustainable fund market is somewhere around the 2.5 trillion euro mark or at least estimated to get there I think some of the some of the big funds are estimating. I think something like thirty five trillion dollars of funds will be will be involved with sustainable businesses. So I get why, from a from an investment perspective, a big operator would want to start saying, you know, we care about sustainability. I get that, but are they actually solving a problem, or are they just pushing it somewhere else? You know, are they just pushing those players into those into those sites where where they're not going to get any help? And maybe this is a, this is why it's, a, it's actually a, the industry's problem to solve, not just a single operator. You know, we probably shouldn't allow, well, we can't control them, allow one operator just to say no, because they're, you know, without actually solving it as an underlying issue. Um, I think there's an acceptable level of, of responsible gaming in a business, but just it's how you handle that, you know. Hmm. is is Are they saying it's zero because they're not going to get any to start with or because they're going to get some and then they're going to deal with it? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you, you would also think that you would also involve the argument of um, uh, of, of your own personal responsibility uh, as well. I mean, these systems would also be quite intrusive in uh, in, in, in your own uh, behavior, because I, I would think that there will be a lot of overlap between these systems. Giving these very early warnings would also mean that they would also uh, produce a lot of uh, false positives. Um, uh, as well, so players who don't have any any um, problematic gambling behavior being warned to stop playing, basically, or getting a call and say like you should probably slow down a bit. Where in reality, it's like, yeah, you don't really have an issue. That would be a question to me as well. It's like, yes, Kindred may be able to eliminate harm from gambling, but the question is, how will that impact? Uh, how, how will the overlap be in the in the sense of the false positives? Yeah, we, we've noticed it. A real challenge when we try and deal with or implement harm minimization actively with a customer in the US because they're not used to it, right? Because they're all coming from from black markets, um, and you know I think the European players are a little bit more educated into the sense that the sense that okay, operators might ask you for affordability check. They might ask you where you, where you got your money from. You know, they might ask you if you have any, but they might run you through a ten question survey to make sure that you you should be playing. Yeah, in the US, because there's no education there, it's why are you asking me this? Why do you want to know my details? This is terrible. I'm going back to the black market. So again, this is, there's this collective responsibility, I think, now um, in the industry to try and educate the players and 
um, and not just push them away. You know, yeah. Try and create a, a place for them to be uh, and then implement the right tools and processes. And it's it's a tough one. You know, yeah. no, no, no operator wants problem gamers. They're not good customers to have. You know, then at the end of the day, it's, it's not great for, for commercial reality either, right? Because more chargebacks, more customer complaints, more likely to, to call the regulator and, and, and say why, you know, why they should have been paid out or why they should have had their bid accepted or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, this is our business. You know, we have a responsibility. It's, it's similar to, you know, if someone walks into a bottle shop with a problem, do you just kick them out of the street or do you have a conversation with them and take them outside? You know, how, how do you deal with these things? Um, it, it, there's no, there's exactly. no one size fits all. It's such a difficult balancing act to uh, to to make, right? And then, uh, you know, at at the same time, um, again, you know, looking at the big trend, the big global trend of sustainability, uh, not just within the gaming industry, but generally, where lots of capital, lots of investment is flowing into sustainable businesses um, uh, like Tesla, Apple, and so forth, who who have very strong ESG commitments. Um, you know, do, do you think, like, on the topic of ESG, um, so uh, environmental and social, social governments, um, do, do you think that this is something that can be detrimental to the industry, uh, which is um, traditionally seen as not a sustainable industry? What will this mean for the agri industry going forward, where more and more capital and more and more investments are being done uh, from an ethical point of view? What, what can the industry do to not fall behind? I think the, the biggest place to start is the bridging the wealth gap, you know, in particular making sure that that all people are taken care of. And, you know, we saw, we saw this recently with like Elon Musk, you know, he's all the kickback he got, um, you know, it was a Bernie Sanders was saying, why are you trying to send ma- man to the Mars right now when we've got, you know, 50 million people here, the 500 million people here that need, that need food or a basic income. You know, it, that's that's obviously an exaggerated problem, but um, but this is kind of what what we're dealing with right now. And you look at in the US, you know, two thirds of adults are struggling to to make ends meet, put food on the table right now. It's a huge problem. And then you add you add on top of that, you add you know, vice industries, and you add entertainment industries, and and you know, obviously gaming, and it's it's potentially you know adding adding you know wood to a fire um, if it's not handled properly. I think we have a responsibility to firstly to take care of of the people that we're connected to, you know, our customers. Um, I, for me, CSR or or you know sustainability or whatever. For me, for me, I I like the concept of shared shared value capitalism. You know, I I really struggle with 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 myself, my, the philosophy of myself because I see myself. I'm a bit of a socialist. I'm a bit of a lefty. I like. I think all people should be taken care of. I think all people deserve. You know. Um, basic income and healthcare and whatever, but at the same time, I'm a massive capitalist, right? I'd like, I want to drive a nice car. I want to, I want to have nice views. You know, I want to live a good life, and those two don't necessarily work that well together. But I think for me, shared value capitalism, which I I try and learn more, more and more about um, as the years go on, is is about taking care of the people around you. You know, making sure that your employees have a have a, a an appropriate income to 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 lifestyle, I suppose. Um, there's a couple of great podcasts that I listened to recently, um, and one was from Dan Shulman, the CEO of PayPal, and he talks about a net disposable income. And it's a big, expensive project that PayPal introduced to their business to make sure they understood the the disposable income of their of their uh, staff. 
And it's not just because they live in, say, Montreal versus living in Bangladesh versus living in New Zealand, you know, that they get treated with, it. okay, you're a, you're a junior developer, you get X. It's actually, okay, how many children do you have? How much rent do you have to pay? Do you have, you know, dependents? Do you live with your parents? Um, and actually treating people as individuals. And that's that's not an easy thing to do and sure as hell is going to be very expensive. But for me, that's the future of sustainability as well. It's, it's a big part of it. It's taking care of your own employees. I mean, we're all... We're all human capital businesses now. We all have lots of people. You know, some of our competitors now are already, you know, in the thousands of staff in the US and, you know, some of the guys in the, in the UK and, you know, you know town, towns like Stoke have got multi, many thousands of people working in, in single operator businesses. That's a lot of people to, to, to worry about, but it's also a lot of people's lives that you could benefit or, you know, yeah. positively or detrimentally um, yeah. if, if you care about these things. So, look, for me, Shed Valley Capitalism is about taking care of everyone around you and it extends past your own staff as well. It's, it's into your communities. And we only just started talking about this at Carousel Group recently. Uh, I'm really keen on exploring the idea of, of um, allocating a fixed amount of budget where we work with uh, local businesses, you know, where we, where we tackle the, some of the problems that America's facing, for instance, we work with black and minority and, and female owned businesses. And we say, you know, instead of just sending all of our money to a big agency, we're going to work with local businesses that need it. Now, we want to distribute the wealth. This is a very wealthy industry. You know, there's a lot of money in gaming. Um, and it, for me, it would be a huge shame if it just sits within the, the investors and, and the execs. And, uh, and that's, for me, where we can really make a difference in this industry. It's about, it's about making sure that everyone benefits from, from gaming, especially in the US now, you know, getting all these, trying to bring all this revenue onshore. Um, and the community should benefit from it. You know, and the governments and the regulators need to do more about it as well. They should probably be looking at also implementing things like you know, for black and minority and female-owned businesses, saying how can they be a part of this? So it's not just tax revenue going straight to the government. It's not just going straight to a Delaware Corp or an offshore company. You know, how can everyone benefit from from this opportunity right now, which is bringing all of this revenue that was previously disappearing offshore? How do we now bring it back onshore and make sure everyone gets to benefit from it? I I love that concept, uh, shared value capitalism, because and this for the simple reason that it's rooted in reality, right? So traditionally, you talk about you know capitalism is not uh, good for society; it's about to be a, a capitalist. Like this, this is the traditional left wing view. So I'm I'm saying now um, to kind of beat down capitalism in general, but. You know, we have to wake up to the reality that this is the system that we are that we are living in, and it's not necessarily a bad system. It's more necessarily that um, traditionally uh, capitalism has been seen as something uh, very selfish, as a very selfish system. But um, the trends in society in general were is is heading towards more transparency and accountability for organizations. Right, so um, through you know, if we want to see the good side in social media and bringing people together, is the fact that we can, like the individual, can hold uh, accountable, uh, accountable the the large uh, organization to a much bigger uh, extent these days. If someone fucks up, uh, the news spreads very quick. Uh, yeah. You know, whether the company wants it or not, or whether they try to control a few media organizations or, or whatever, um, they don't have control over over the masses any longer. And likewise, on the um, retail investor side uh, of things as well, um, the retail investors now have so much power that they are beating down the big man, right? I mean, look at GameStop, uh, the, the whole situation there. It's just a, 
a big a big fuck you to the to the institutional investors i mean that's yeah. that's literally what it is and like and showing showing wall street who really has the power here you know and basically telling wall street that like watch your backs you know because because if if you are if you are acting unethically which was the case with gamestop where uh, you know these um, these big um, institutional investors are shorting the stock, right? They are they want GameStop to fail, and before that, they, you know there was the um, uh, in 2018 where the uh, institutional investors were were trying to make Tesla fail. You know, and I think the concept of shorting itself is like okay, I can understand why. And I, personally, I'd like to see a drive to short like Shell and oil and gas companies, maybe because <laughs> that would actually benefit Mother Earth. Uh, but um, when you when you go and try to kind of cut the legs out of uh, Tesla, who is trying to do good for the world, then you, that's where you see kind of the selfishness coming out of capitalism, right? But um, but I think that you can clearly see now that uh, that uh, organizations that are trying to do the right thing and uh, earn money with a purpose, or or you know, earning money while making the world better uh, in the process. Is is becoming rewarded for that, right? And yeah. uh, that's in the end of the day, they should be our goal as a society: live with capitalism, but turn it into something positive for the world. Yeah, I think it was also Dan Schulman, the PayPal CEO, that also said, uh, "There's no reason why you can't have profits and a purpose. They, they're not enemies of each other." Ex exactly. That, that's that's exactly right. You know, and and, and uh, I, I, it's just becoming. So evident uh, in general that that is where the world is is uh, heading, at, at least to me. And this uh, uh, and this ESG uh, focus uh, that the investors are having right now is just uh, again a clear uh, indication of that. That uh, um, that uh, we we in general are becoming more opinionated as well. I think uh, as as we go along. Like I mean, I remember you know when when i was like in my teenage years or whatever i i, I only cared about playing nintendo 64 and you know meeting the occasional girl uh, for a, a, a soft drink or whatever you did back then i don't know um but uh, fika. but these <laughs> fika there you go yes yes <laughs> you know my culture um but these days the the kids are really care you know i mean like uh, you know look at like look at the uh, the younger generation caring about environment uh, greta obviously swedish uh, as well yeah. who is like really uh, like representing an entire generation to wake up to uh, to kind of drive this change that the older generation needs to do you know and, and that shift has to come from the younger generation right? and and then that drives more uh, accountability to the to the organizations and yeah you know, i think i think looking forward i mean uh, these organizations that are taking genuine responsibility and not just who who say they will and, and you know you, you see through it kind of thing those are the ones that will uh, that will win in the future i think so i think that yeah, you are doing and ultimately really good. ultimately it's for the benefit of the well the end user in the community right which is which is very similar to if you look at responsible gaming you know, as being part of your your you know social and ethical um, sustainability approach for a company, mm. uh, and and which is one of the the important things to note about what's happening again. To keep coming back to the market, which, which is now my home market, the, the US. It's um, you know we're, we're creating a framework for customers to be to to play safe, to have an environment that, where they're taken care of. Um, you know, we're, onshore is is where the players should be. You know, betting within. Um, regulated frameworks where there's play protections in place. I know mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, there's going to be 
teething problems for the first couple of years and some operators unfortunately might not do the right thing you know and they're going to you, you see this with operators that are, that are pushing away players because they're winning just because they're winning not because they're fraudulent or because they're they're looking for gaps in odds or they're using arbitrage just because they're winning and that's that's not great for the industry because then everyone complains about it goes back offshore but um to, to draw parallels to the 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 cannabis industry which is regulating you know state after state in the us and it was you know a couple maybe a precursor to gaming regulation um previously and unfortunately um i i haven't smoked weed since i was in high school so i'm i'm <laughs> i'm not the biggest expert on what's available right now in, in the us but um you know before there was there was no regulation around what it is how it's grown etc right and then it, the government realized actually but firstly we can both get tax revenue from it and we can protect the consumer you know we can control the the thc percentages you know we can control the the origin and then you can help the entire supply chain you know i presume that the where the where the farmers get their get their seeds from get this all from you know it's all all, all regulated and the same the same philosophies and concepts apply to gaming you know the suppliers are regulated uh, the suppliers need licenses they need to take, make sure they're doing the right thing. Um, they're all under the same kind of laws and governances. So the end use, the players, you know, like what happened with Wirecard recently. You now this, it's, it's a lot harder for these things to happen when everyone is under a much stricter regulation. Um, you know, players are protected, money is protected, money to sit where, where, where it can be um, monitored and regulated. You know, make sure there's enough um, in in the war chest so that players can be paid out. Make sure that the operators are being held responsible. Make sure that if if a player is on a banned list or is a professional footballer who shouldn't be gambling, that that's all on paper. It's all being documented. Um, so at the end of the day, this this whole wave of, of regulation, responsible gaming, player protection, um, and it's all part of the bigger picture of actually building a sustainable industry where everyone benefits. Um, and then uh, for me, the missing piece is this is is the wealth distribution. You know. Unfortunately, or fortunately, our industry, uh, because it's all online, um, environmental concerns is is lower down the list. You know, you could say that we shouldn't be flying so much. That our industry tends to fly way too much. I think last, in 2019, I probably flew on 120 flights and I haven't left the country for, <laughs> for over a year now. So, maybe, you know, maybe I could tick that box and say I'm also I'm environmentally conscious. Uh, but we, you know, we Carousel Group, we use partners that are that are AAA, you know, environmental standard compliance and pass a lot of ISO standards, etc. So that's great. Um, so, but then, what are the areas that where we can actually pay attention to? And again, it comes back to to making sure that your employees are taken care of, that your customers are taken care of. You're not trying to take advantage. You're paying your taxes, um, and everyone everyone should win from this industry. Yeah. And it seems, you know, coming to regulation, uh, again, uh, looking at the agami industry and, you know, the industry being banned in, in the US until uh, recently uh, with PASPA um, being withdrawn. Um, it seems to be kind of the, um, sometimes the collective hive mind of society um, is driving the opinion without it necessarily being tied to reality. And um, the reason I mentioned that is you, you mentioned the cannabis industry, which I think is a, is a great comparison in this regard where, um, where cannabis was uh, illegal, you know, since, the, since, since forever, um, not necessarily tied into the reality of, of, the, um, of the side effects of, of, uh, of, um, of cannabis, obviously, but the collective hive mind 
decided that this is, you know, have been indoctrinated for a long time and have decided that this is not something we want uh, our kids to be uh, confronted with. And maybe they don't want to take the dialogue with their kids or whatever. Uh, so, so they choose to uh, to to not uh, to, to not want to uh, wanting to regulate it. But um, again, through this kind of um, th again through collective uh, discussion, through social media, through uh, platforms like Clubhouse and so forth, these arguments can be kind of trashed out in a way where the hive mind uh, shifts very quickly now. Right, these big discussions are, are there um, outside of of um, outside of the, of the mainstream media. Uh, and uh, and therefore, you know, you see this like very big shift, a very quick shift um, with legislation in state of the state in cannabis yeah. use. And similarly, in the agami industry, uh, that's where potentially it's really important for the industry then to to genuinely solve the the uh, the um, the problem, the, the question of problematic gambling. Um, for that very reason, so that the uh, so that the kind of the hive mind, the the general consensus of what is the agami industry. Uh, actually uh, is seen from a better light so that yeah. uh, we are more favorably um, treated by uh, by regulators. Yeah, there's a, a another podcast which I, I listened to it recently and actually I believe it was in the, the HBR magazine a couple of months ago was was an article around with, from Bob Langer, the, the ex-head of sustainability at McDonald's and he has this concept, he did amazing things like he invented the brown pa paper box instead of the plastic one and saved uh, who knows how many billions of tons of trash from from mcdonald's and and you know introduced things like um animal welfare for their meat and he he has this concept where it is making friends with your enemies basically and i think that's really interesting in this case and I, i've talked about as well with our executive team at carousel group about how we need to embrace as an industry our enemies and have a shared dialogue you know you know particularly when it comes to things like like um responsible gaming addiction etc because typically speaking, we're, in, we're very polar opposites, right? It, there's a lot of like vitriol but, and hate maybe between the, the people who are on the other side of the fence saying gambling's addictive, it's horrible. And then, they're, you know, unfortunately, the 99% on the other side are saying it's fun, it's entertainment, we love sports, we love gambling. You know, we watch sports all day long. Sports isn't sport unless you're gambling. And the, the two rarely meet in the middle and sit down and actually go open up a dialogue and say, how can we work together? And some more modern businesses, I'm sure, do it very well. And I, you know, I don't want to criticize those businesses. But for the most part, you know, we implement responsible gaming as the, as the, regulation, as the regulation sees fit. And we never really try and open up a dialogue and say, um, you know, how do we find a happy ground? And going back to this, um, you know, this Bob Langett's approach was to find a shared common goal. I find this concept really interesting. Instead of saying, we think you're wrong and they think we're wrong. Now, for instance, in, in his instance, when he was trying to understand animal welfare, and it wasn't done before, you know, but I, I think maybe in the 70s, 60s, 80s, I, I, I don't remember. Um, but instead of, you know, typically he would go and talk to um, animal rights activists and they'd be like you, like, you sell meat, you're the devil. And he'd be like, well, we make most of the money off meat. We're never getting rid of it. So hmm. sorry, that's the end of the conversation. But instead, to change the dialogue to, we both want to make sure that our customers are happy and we take care of animals. Um, how do we do that together? You know, and you sit and have a shared dialogue and you find a common goal, which is animal welfare. And the game industry is found in the terms of, you know, player welfare. You know, both parties want players to be taken care of. So I think it's really important that the, that both the industry and also the people on the on the outside of the naysayers or the, the haters of industry also we find a, a common space where we can talk together and um, and discuss how do we 
how do we create a safe space for our players without getting rid of the experience? Because, you know, the people, even the people who had addictions at one point, they were on the other side of the fence. They were, they wanted to enjoy gaming. Unfortunately, um, they weren't given, potentially they weren't given the tools or the controls or the education and they ended up um, going down the wrong path. And it's terrible and we shouldn't allow that to happen. Um, but what are the right tricks? And surely it's not just as simple as adding in a box where they can self-exclude. Surely there's more to it. And that's that's kind of the secret sauce that, that we all need to collectively um, get together as an industry. Exactly. And, and you know, again, drawing parallels to the industry, uh, you know, society says uh, that uh, gambling is bad and therefore it should not be allowed. You know, it's like the, the Swedish way of, of handling the problem back in the day, right? And what happens instead, yeah, you'll have uh, you'll have all these offshore um, uh, uh, operators uh, who operate uh, outside of Sweden, and um, the players who will gamble will still gamble, right? So, what you're saying here is that uh, instead of <laughs> instead of just closing your eyes for the problem, uh, let's have a let's have a dialogue uh, about it and, and see where is the middle ground, you know, and and. Uh, Similarly, uh, now when we are going through in Sweden again, uh, overregulation potentially and the channelization rates are dropping drastically, surely you would think that there, there should be scope for uh, this could be show, scope for dialogue to see, okay, how can we keep the channelization rates high? Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, by doing so, we need to understand that we can't just overregulate uh, because that will drive. The uh, the most vulnerable players that we that the whole reason why we are doing this legislation for in the first place to the size where they are not supposed to be, right? And and that's where the discrepancy is uh, perhaps in in certain uh, countries today, you know. And uh, do do you get the feeling that um, in the US uh, do 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 you get the feeling that that dialogue is 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 more, uh, let's say, more fruitful um, with the regulators? Are they listening more, so say, or, or will it be more political theater that you could argue is what's happening in Sweden, for example? I think that they're not ready to understand it enough. I think that it will come in time. And this is one of the things that worries me, that we'll wait for an, for an event to happen, like, you know, like, it's been ha like what's been happening in, in the UK recently, for instance. You know, wait mm -hmm. for things to blow up and hit mainstream media and become a problem, and then then it's bad, you know, then it's bad for everyone. You know, I see particular issues and concerns. You know, for the most part in the US, the, the age for gaming, gambling is 21. However, you know, fantasy sports doesn't have this follow the same age bracket. So you've got 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds playing fantasy sports, exposed to the same brands that are going to be their sports betting partners potentially. And this is why some of these brands are making so much money now. Um, you know, fantasy is not the most profitable business to be in. But they get three years of, of getting the brand love and the brand recognition. And then, you know, these these um, teenagers are roll straight into gaming. Um, how does a regulator deal with that? It's, it's not illegal per se. Um, you know, it's not treated as gambling. And then on top of that, you add the exposure to advertising now. You know, NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, every major sport now is being um, sponsored by Big gambling operators. UK seen this, right? Um, Spain is banning or has banned um, advertisers on shirts for the for La Liga. Yeah, um, mm. I think UK's. I'm not sure whether it's happening at the moment, but I'm sure there's there's been discussions about whether it should be appropriate or not. Um, the US is just getting started down that path, mm -hmm. right? Teams are only starting to now do um, sponsorship deals. 
there was the first case late last year of a college team doing a deal in in Colorado with an operator uh, or a college organization yeah. and there's some great ways to do it where you actually focus on responsible gaming but at the same time it's a real gray area and if as an operator or oh, sorry as a regulator that's actually outside their scope almost right because it's it's a different brand advertising but the same brand is actually a gaming brand um, exactly. how, how is this going to get dealt with in the future? I, I don't know, but it's definitely not an easy, easy um, topic. And I, from what I understand, those younger, that younger demographic is is now in in the US the the, the most at risk demographic for 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 harm for responsible gaming issues. Yeah, and you know that's that's a discussion in its own right. I think. I mean, it, to draw some parallels to the alcohol industry in Sweden, it's illegal to uh, to to advertise uh, uh, alcohol. Uh, drinks basically uh, and the, you know so similarly the way they get around it is to launch a product so they launch a beer that is alcohol free and and then they would then they would market that product so it would be the um, the Carlsberg Zero or whatever they would call it on uh, but obviously they are building brand equity through uh, through marketing the same product you have a connotation to this beer can that looks exactly the same as the yeah. as the as the alcohol um, I guess it's it's impossible to get it right you know it's at just, the same, it's at the same always... time, it, the solution is is initially self-regulation and doing the right thing. And yes. and it comes back to the same concept we're talking about with the European trend now of, of investing in sustainable businesses and funds that focus on sustainable businesses is the companies that do it right. And we are one of those companies that we take care of our players. We focus immensely on harm minimization. We, it's an open dialogue. It's not a dirty topic to talk about in the business. Um, and we will... We'll continue to keep exploring this, and it, it needs to be a conversation. It, it can't be something that you you shouldn't discuss in the gaming business. It can't be something that you shouldn't discuss openly. You need to accept the reality and and work constantly and decide as a business that it's going to be a, an important part of of how you run your business, your ethics, your your code of conduct. Um, mm. You know, and it, it comes across for us and every part of our business we discuss it. You know, whether it's onboarding customers, the wording that we use, even you know, on social, uh, we've had some some dialogues recently where we've been retweeted by brands that are lifestyle brands that you know for instance like candy brands and is that actually acceptable is that unethical because there's something that children might like um but instead of ignoring it and just saying that's bad or that's right we're actually we're going into dialogue and i think this is the right approach is that operators need to keep keep discussing it and decide what's right or what's wrong um but actively make an effort to minimize the harm minimize the exposure to people that shouldn't be exposed to it um and I think if, if all operators adopt that same mentality where, you know, you're always just trying to do the right thing, you'll eventually find it. It's no different to any other industry, right? There's, safe, there's safety elements in every industry that need, you know, that are really important, not just, not just you know, um, alcohol and gaming, but everything from, you know, safety of cars and making sure you're taking care of your customers and false advertising in all kinds of industries, um, you know, anything, you know, making sure that your customers know what's in the food that you're giving them. It's it's all part of the same process. You can either be ethical about it, or you can be you can be unethical and look for look for ways to get around it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good point, uh, Daniel. Uh, this has been a fantastic podcast uh, today, actually. And we spoke about uh, before the podcast that like let's let's make this into like a Jorgen experience type three hour thing, and uh, <laughs> easily we could have done that. But easily. unfortunately, 
I have to run and get a haircut. <laughs> and and uh, as you can see here, my, my hair is, is a little bit... It's been uh, a while for me too. Yeah, 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 yeah I know. Um, but you know what? Uh, if you were up for it, I would love to do a part two ASAP. And, uh, because we have a lot more points, actually, to the, to discuss. Than we, uh, we only went through uh, not even half of the th things that we had uh, talked about before the podcast today. Shall we do that, do you think? Let's do it. Next time, I'll be Elon Musk, and you can be Joe Rogan, and we'll, uh, we'll do it properly. Oh. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever that implies. Okay, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, let, let's let's do this uh, soon. Actually, I, I would love to if you have time, even in uh, like the next couple of days or something. Let's let's follow it up while we are on a streak here. Let's do it. How about that? Awesome. I'm All right, Daniel, it. thank yeah, you so thank much you. for today, buddy. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely great. pleasure. Let's uh, yeah, see you soon, man. And, and thanks everyone for tuning in as well. Thanks to our sponsors, and I wish you all a great day. See you soon, everyone. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> all right.